0: Welcome to Campfire Football, I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 51, and it's the semis that are set. At least for the Champions League and Europa League, and then I'll touch on a few little things towards the end here. But, start off with the Champions League Wednesday match, because I already covered Tuesday in the previous episode. Man City. They really had to go through it. They had to go through the hard way. I, I was really impressed with Dortmund. Glad they put up a fight that they actually played well for 180 minutes. I mean, Dortmund were but uh, were completely, completely worth their salt. Uh, They stepped up. Players that have been criticized, like, uh, you know, a lot of players in the squad have been criticized for just coming up short in some games, for only performing for 30, 40 minutes, and also just that that so many players seem like they're going to be the next big thing at Dortmund for two, three months, and then they just disappear. Uh, So it was nice to see them be be a little more solid in this game. Jude Bellingham, you got to give him the sort of honorable mention for a uh, man of the tie because maybe he wasn't the best player in it but y- y- you have to give him some credit and man you know that meteoric rise he had to where he had barely even played a game at Birmingham and all of a sudden was sure played some games at Birmingham sorry he had barely really played a full season um and then was being whisked away to Dortmund for club record money and I think as well um, uh, They retired his jersey number or something like that, which made a lot of people laugh. A little bit um, of a strange one that I remember. But I think a lot of people in Britain don't quite realize how good he is because they don't watch the Bundesliga. I think a lot of people just think, oh, he's some highly rated kid and he'll probably be good because that's what Dortmund do. But it wasn't until now that I think some people were like, oh, yeah, so who should play in the midfield for the Euros this summer? Because if a guy looks like that, can he displace Declan Rice? Probably. Calvin Phillips? Certainly. right? And then then we've got to give another mention to another young English boy who did incredible in this tie. It was Phil Foden. Yeah, I, I do think the goal that he scored in the second leg should have been saved by the goalkeeper. But overall, I mean, the goal he scored, the way he played in, in throughout the games, the first leg goal... This kid is a super talent, and so it's it's really interesting what England are going to decide to do this summer. Because to me, Phil Foden looks like one of those classy pieces that you you almost you know you're going to get the the, the utmost quality. Jude Bellingham, he looks like maybe this is a little too early for him, but he has that number eight sort of. Frank Lampard, Steven Gerrard way of moving up and down the pitch. And he's got a great physique. He can cover the ground. He can defend. So it's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the next couple months. I mean, players get injured. Players start to reach top form. So we'll see. But another player I want to mention is Kevin De Bruyne because he looks so hungry right now. He just put pen to paper on that new deal. Got to give him credit for also being his own representative, not having an agent that he has to lose part of his money to hire to just negotiate something that he knows is pretty easy to do. This is this is really, really a player who I think when you watch him right now, it, like he's not blisteringly fast, but he goes by people really with uh, amazing ease. I mean, it, his change of pace and the way he drags the ball and uses his body over those first five yards is really amazing. And I think he may be the guy that can get them over the line if they're going to win this Champions League. So <clears throat> also want to say, look, Emery Chan had two very good legs, but that is a penalty all day long, okay? Look, if you watch the replay again, yes, he goes with his head. Yes, he touches it with his head first, but his arm is so stretched out that the ball actually, it goes off his head and hits his shoulder. So it doesn't even have to, uh, like his lower shoulder. So it doesn't really hit the lower part of his arm. And he doesn't change the trajectory of the ball that much, which means if he doesn't get anything on that with his shoulder, it's going to go right behind him to the City player that's there. I mean, to me, it was kind of like maybe the only way that you can say that it wasn't a handball is if it was below that sort of sleeve line that they have. Whatever it is, wherever it is that it ends on the arm. But VR took a look. They decided that it was clearly, you know, they, they decided it was a penalty. And, yeah, I mean, I agree. So, whatever. Liverpool versus Real Madrid. This was the other one disappointing that it ended nil-nil. And I mean, I think that's all because Liverpool didn't take the chances they created in this game. And I'm not sure that had they gone and scored that they would have gotten that rush, that infield, yes, here we go, got a second one, got the third, and then dumped Real Madrid out because this Real Madrid team never really looked out of control. Even if they were conceding chances, they never really looked rattled. They were able to can do long stretches of possession whenever they really felt like it. And Liverpool just looked like As the minutes were on, they were just trying harder and harder and harder and getting less and less and less successful and less likely to score. So really, really unfortunate that it went this way for Liverpool. But come on, guys. Liverpool, your whole season is a wash this year. Just let it go. I mean, it's been so hard. The previous success was so good. I'm guaranteeing you this Liverpool squad, whether or not they qualify for the Champions League, they're going to be a top, top side next year, challenging for whatever tournament they're in. And they will be right up there. Now, Real Madrid. It's going to be really interesting to see what happens in the second leg. I mean, again, Cruz, Casemiro, Modric. Really, really important to the whole thing. Vinicius Jr. had a really, really good tie. He had two very good legs. Mendy has been good for them all throughout the Champions League. He's come up huge. And so has Thibaut Courtois. So, there is the spine there for Real Madrid. Now... My picks were actually pretty good on what I said for the Champions League. I got um, three out of the four correct. The only one I got wrong was PSG-Bayern. And be honest, that could have gone any which way, correct? So let's, let's go ahead and do the semifinals. We know that they're set. Man City is going to play against PSG. Chelsea will play Real. I think one thing that we don't, I mean, maybe we do know, <laughs> at least we have it set. We don't know exactly how it's going to pan out, the venues, right? So Chelsea played their semifinal against Porto in Sevilla, both home and away not the same as for instance Liverpool who had to play against Real Madrid in what they called the bizarre stadium it's just a small stadium I mean, you call Real Madrid stadium bizarre because it seats like 4000 people well you know you play a lower league game in the you play against um a 6 tier team in the FA cup or something like that it's going to be the same type of thing right except this pitch is perfect so the venues might have something to do with it they might sway it a little bit but as of now, PSG played at home. Man City played at home. We'll see what happens with uh, with Chelsea and Real Madrid. But it'd be nice to see those games actually in their specific venues. So, look, picking a winner out of these two ties, it's really difficult. I think this is the greatest thing. is Last year in the Champions League, we had Lyon in the semifinals, having skated by Man City, right? There were some things that made you feel like, well... The best teams might not be in this. And though Bayern are out, and they may very well be a team that probably should be a semifinal representative, PSG is not just some random team that knocked them out. They're definitely worthy to be at this stage of the competition. They're good enough to win it. They have every tool. So, it, I mean, Man City PSG has got to be the, the one that catches the eye of the two. I think that's probably where you're going to see the best football. Uh, I think that's where you're going to probably see... Most likely goals. I think that there will probably be more goals in Man City PSG than Chelsea Real. But, we are obviously, who knows? I'm going to go ahead and pick PSG to topple Man City. Only because there is a sort of belief going on within PSG that with what they've got, Neymar, Di Maria, Mbappe, and then the spine behind them, knocking out Bayern Munich was... That was huge for them. I mean, that's a massive psychological boost. Now, the same can be said for City, who have finally cleared that hurdle and got to the Champions League semifinal after years and years of falling over at the quarter final hurdle. So, really tough, but I, I think I kind of am going to lean PSG here just because they have so many good attacking weapons. And if they come out and they are willing to suffer the way they did against Bayern, they can do the same against Man City and... Who knows? Maybe it's that just that attacking quality that they have that, that gets them through. I'm edging it with PSG on this one just because I'm not really sure. Also, I'm not going to lie. Maybe I, I to, wanted to avoid an all-English final for some reason because I really do think Chelsea can beat Real Madrid. Again, it's on a knife edge. But I think this one is going to be not so much decided by the midfield because in previous ties, Real Madrid, you say, well, okay, if you can neutral it, those midfield three, They're going to control the game. So, you know, you better be able to handle Kareem Benzema and anything else. That's a key for Chelsea. Can the defense handle Benzema? Because Chelsea can, I think, put a midfield three out that can go toe-to-toe with Real Madrids. One, because they have the quality. Two, because they have the athleticism. If you're telling me that N'Golo Conte and Mateo Kovacic or N'Golo Conte and Jorginho are not experienced and dynamic enough as like a duo or even as a pair to be able to mess up Real Madrid's flow, and then you've got Mason Mount in there who can press and Harry and, and get the ball. And I think the midfield battle might be a lot more even. Like I said, I think it's going to come down actually more to the defenses. Can Chelsea's defense handle Karim Benzema? And can Christian Pulisic and whoever really is up front in that Chelsea line, can they trouble a Real Madrid back line that's been chopped and changed so much this season? So I, I actually think Chelsea are the most equipped to go through, But, I mean, I'm not going to pretend you sound like a fool betting against Real Madrid in the semifinals of the Champions League. So I know that. But, pure football terms, I'm just going to go ahead and say, I think Chelsea just have the squad and the ability. Right now, they're so tight, they might be able to pull it off. We'll see. Anyway, moving on to the Europa League. Uh, Man United made themselves, made their job look pretty easy. I was very impressed with Arsenal absolutely swatting slavia prague in the first 30 minutes of the match to to just put the tie away. In 30 minutes they they just completely set the whole thing straight, got themselves through virial continue their run. Roma were I think lucky to get past diax but they they showed that they've got the steel, they've got the the pluckiness and desire to keep going and look like right now I I think uh I think united have to be the favorites. But Arsenal are kind of in that situation where it's ride or die. I mean, they got to win this competition if they want any any if they want to see European football next year. So this is huge for them, really, really huge. And yeah, I I don't think Roma are really good enough to beat United. I think they will they will trouble United, but I think United will make the final. Then, yeah, it's the Unai Emery against Arteta battle. We will see what happens. I think I'm going to give. I think we'll see an All-English final. I really do think it'll be Arsenal United in the final, and that, well, we'll worry about calling that when we get there. All right, some other small topics before I wrap this up. Um, social media and the stances that players are taking. I think when we saw Thierry Reed as the first player to come out and say, or the first real football person to come out and say, I'm leaving because this is ridiculous, mostly because they can nail someone for copyright infringement in three minutes but racist abuse can just go on and on and on and on and on and and people can create fake accounts and do it and then DM you straight up. So that started. Then you had Swansea jump on board. Now all of a sudden you've got a slightly different issue. This isn't about the racial racial abuse, but this is Phil Foden who fired his uh, social media management company because they went ahead and did some posts with like, are you ready? Killian sort of like calling out Mbappe. Not really. I mean, I am mean, into hip-hop, so that doesn't sound like beef to me. That just sounds like, hey. So kind of like what boxers do in terms of calling out their opponent to, like, you know, get everyone riled up for the fight. But, yeah, football doesn't really work this way. So I, I think it's really interesting that the social media, everything social media is starting to circle around these players because the real, they don't need this, right? Social media is kind of better for the common person. Like, really famous people have never needed this. It's bizarre to me that they would invite even more, right? Like, if you were a celebrity 20 years ago, it was going out in public that bothered you. Well, now, you know, you're never safe from anybody. And you and that you got, what, 100 million people or something following you? I mean, it, it's just, if, if these people want to set an example, I think leaving these platforms is probably fine. Uh, it would set an example, I think, for clubs as well. Because one thing that drives me nuts, all these professional organizations have decided that social media is an enormous part of how they drive, yeah, I mean, traffic and and, and interest, right? But the reality is we watch it for the sport. This other stuff is just fluff. I mean, it, as a Chelsea fan, if Chelsea didn't have an Instagram and didn't post stuff, I wouldn't care. I would still be watching the games every week. I wouldn't be like, you know, I wish that Chelsea did a little bit more like Liverpool and posted more on their social media accounts and stuff like that and and made birthday memes for the players when it's their birthday and stuff. Like, I, I don't care. I just don't care. And I don't think anyone else does. And I think we need to get past this point because to be honest with you, a lot of this is super childish behavior that's been made to look professional. And it's just not, right? Social media is... It's a toy, it's a fun toy for us all to enjoy, to share stuff. But once it once you start to make a profession out of all the way it works, it starts to look just kind of silly and like people are taking themselves too seriously. So we'll see what happens with that. Another interesting thing, Clarence Seedorf said that players who are covering their mouths when speaking to opponents should receive yellow cards or if they're speaking to the referee. Now, I totally get his point here and he's right that if you go up to a player, cover your mouth, And or just racially abuse them. And there's no way to prove that you did it really. So this is where everyone has a problem with how do you combat racism if people can just do it and hide it. It's a fair point. Totally taken. But there's also something that I think we should be very careful about. Because a few years ago, before actually this had anything to do with racist abuse, a few years ago I remember when players started doing this more and more. You'd see them walking around, talking to each other, covering their mouths. I remember a lot of ex-pros saying they didn't like it, that they thought it, it was just what is it that the players are trying to hide? Like what? Why are they being so secretive? It it it, it gives a bad look. No, one, all these people were criticizing it. There were the games gone people doing that as well. Like ah, oh, come on, I think I think it's wrong. It takes the personality out of the game. The reason why they're doing it because now there's so many cameras that you can read lips and slow it down a million times, and people will try and figure out everything you're saying, and then they will make stories about it, and then they'll create controversy about it. So, what they do is when they're having a chat, they just cover their mouths. Now, if I think it's there is a difference here where referees can understand when someone, when two guys are just having a chat, because they do it with the referees as well and then you can tell when someone's actually gone and said something and covered their mouth so as not to be seen. So I think Clarence Seedorf has a great point. I think it's a good discussion to bring up because the line is gonna need to be found there. If you just yellow card people for covering their mouths when they talk, that's totally unfair. It it honestly is in a way way of limiting the privacy these guys can possibly have for themselves. So just a little side note on that. I thought that was really interesting. VAR, this weekend, you know, because of a lot of the decisions that happened over the last few days, it went. It, we've gone through yet another weekend where everyone's talking about, "Oh, game's gone, VAR killed it, everything like that." And maybe, maybe we are going to see a little bit of a um, an improvement here. And this is what I'm saying to people: it don't be so quick to say it's done, it's over, it's ruined the game, because all of us are suffering from watching this. It's not like there's some person up above that's like, I just want to ruin football. How can I How can I do that? That's not happening. So there's a guy, his name is Kieran O'Connor. He's the president of the Welsh uh, FA. And he sits as a chair on a lot of IFAB meetings. And he was talking about how, even though they haven't discussed this specifically in the meetings, that the football world as a whole has discussed enough that VAR, basically now, he says, now we're coming down to bootlaces almost. And there has to be a degree of common sense. Um, yes, there does uh, and it's not almost with the bootlaces, like it is definitely a hundred percent with the bootlaces, which is which drives me crazy, honestly. He also went on to say it's not is it's not an easy area, uh, but it's one we need to keep looking at and keep tweaking, and eventually we'll get there. Should you put a line uh time limit on how long it takes? He says, possibly. And I think that's a, gr- that's a really, really great point. Why have this go on for so long? If you can't figure out a decision in 10, 15 seconds, it's clearly not clear and obvious. So, yeah, I think that's a good sign. Things are going in the right direction in terms of the conversations people in high areas are having. So, that's something we can be happy about. Um, as for those games gone folks, these people... You're the ones that got us here with VAR. All right. Um, I just remember when VAR was being starting to be really peddled and talked about. One of the biggest issues that was surrounding this was every single week, you would have all these ex-pros, all these pundits come around, and their whole issue was that... Their whole issue was basically that decisions that referees were making were just not consistent, right? That the referees, one week something was a decision and the next week it wasn't and then they think that that was unfair. And look, I I understand that. I understand that. But the problem is, if you, at the end of every single week, you're berating the referee for this decision or that one, you are now refocusing the attention to them and that is not where it should go. It should be on your players. It should be on your performance as a team. The referees are a small bit of the puzzle, but to me, it dro- it drove me crazy for years. You would have pundits and and you know commentators and managers all just constantly berating referees and saying that they got it wrong. They got it wrong. This is what was wrong. This is what was wrong, and everyone was just so upset that referees were actually just making mistakes instead of looking at the most egregious mistakes and going, "Look, how can we avoid?" The Lampard goal against Germany. Goal decision system, GDS as they call it. Goal line technology. You bring that in, sorted the whole thing out. Okay, great. Now let's move on. What's another one we can tackle? Uh, offside. Well, we we do know that the lines help with angle because sometimes it does look like a player's five yards offside. They drop the lines on the field, which are actually, you know, according to the the angles of the field, and you find oh well, that's closer than I thought or whatever. But if it's a boot, if it's uh, not an, if you're not gaining any kind of advantage by the position you're in and and we have to talk about it, an advantage means you are actually like ahead. You're actually in a spot that really helps you score. If you are facing away from the goal and your heel is the thing that is offside and you're standing still, you're not gaining an advantage by that. So let that one go, right? Those are the things that hopefully we get to. But the problem is that for so long, you would have people go and try and analyze forensically every single decision that they disagreed with and saying that the referees were poor and that they weren't, they weren't being consistent enough. Well, eventually we get a system like this, like VAR, that no one is really that well trained to use. And it becomes very, very difficult. So, look, if you want no mistakes from the refs, I mean, this is what you get. This is what you get. You bring in technology, and you try and get robotic about it, and you try and litigate every single possible thing, and then the rules, they don't become rules anymore, right? It just becomes very, very difficult for people to know, and I think that's why the ire of the entire football world was roused up this weekend. All right, well... Everybody, enjoy your weekend. There's going to be some great games. Um, I'm very, very excited. Snow came down here in Colorado, so all of my matches to coach got canceled. We got like six inches of very thick, wet, heavy April snow. Just boom. So now we can't play this weekend. I guess I'm going to watch a lot of football. This is Campfire Football, everyone. Have a nice one. Bye.